0: Hello, and welcome to another edition of the eCommerce Odyssey podcast. I'm here with Sean O'Neill from SpeedSense, and we're going to talk about why it's so hard for e-commerce brands to run a fast website. So, Neil, Sean, sorry, my first question to you is, why is website speed important?
1: Hey, Trevor, thanks uh, for having me. Website speed is important for a lot of different reasons. Um, let's let's slice it into, we'll say, three or four categories. Uh, one is like the on-site uh, interaction of the user. So, you know, UX, uh, bounce rate, conversion rate, everything around the user and the customer on your site. Um, The second, I guess, would be like the uh, SEO facet um, where, you know, Google has been very straightforward of late that uh, a faster website is going to contribute better to your SEO rank. So the core web vitals uh, metrics, uh, we can talk a lot more about that. Influence site site rank search rank. Um, another big contributing factor, I guess, to why I feel like site speed is important is the carbon output of the servers that are powering the uh, the site, the network. Uh, you know, there's a there's a carbon impact of running a website in general, uh, and so one of our one of our values is the, the triple bottom line planetary side of things. Uh, and then finally, if you're you know if you're running ads or not finally, there's many aspects and I could keep going on this for a while, but return on ad spend is a big one. So if you've got, uh, you know, would you rather send a million dollars worth of ad traffic to a site that loads in five seconds or a site that loads in one? I think the uh, the bounce rate math is pretty straightforward uh, and very convincing that you'd much rather have uh, a quicker experience for, for that ROAS to be higher. Okay. So tons of data there.
0: How does a company know if that site speed is important for them? or they have a problem.
1: So sure, first, how do they yeah. know they've got
0: a problem and how do they measure that problem?
1: Yeah, okay. Well, there's uh, there's a lot of ways to measure web performance. Um, and luckily over the last couple of years, maybe uh, 18 to two months, two, sorry, two years, 18 months to two years, Google has done a good job of aggregating. They've, they've built a database uh, that basically aggregates all the page views on all the sites across the world as you're clicking through in Chrome, and reports that back to Google. Uh, and they can highlight this data uh, in your Search Console, uh, in PageSpeed Insights scan, uh, and they use this to influence search rank, like I just mentioned a second ago. So this is a publicly available data set. Um, the easiest way to determine if you have a site speed issue, though, to answer that question in short, is type, what is my website speed, into Google, and find the first couple of hits. and pop your homepage in there, uh, and then run a scan. The challenging part there is you've only scanned your homepage. And if you're a brand with thousands or tens of thousands of URLs, because you've got a lot of catalogs and products and articles and, you know, everything else, then you've only scanned one page. And it may not be the most or worst performance. It may not even be very relevant, depending on how you run your business, your homepage uh, likely isn't the most frequently visited template, we'll say especially in e-commerce, often the, the product detail pages are, are least performant and uh, and most visited. Uh, so that helps identify whether you have a site speed issue. Um,
0: but, actually if you've got like a score, so if you, you go into like, you know, uh, Lightning, is it the Lightning Speed?
1: Lighthouse, um, yeah. Lighthouse, nice speed. one, insights. sorry.
0: Yeah, so what is, I mean, if you've got an e-commerce site, the sites are quite big, they've got a lot going on, they will naturally have a lower speed than a single page, which has got, you know, no graphics on it or, or, and how do (laughs) you know, should you be looking at a, how should you benchmark your site?
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I talk a lot about like, you don't need to be the fastest site on the internet and, and the user experience of Craigslist is not the most engaging uh, though. That would be certainly the fastest way to build a site. Um. So there's two things you just touched on there. When you run a, a page, PageSpeed Insight Scan, pagespeed.web.dev is the URL for anybody listening along. Um, you can pop in your domain there, and it gives you two types of data. And generally, there are two categories of performance data. One is real user metrics, or RUM, as in, in the wild. Uh, and the other is synthetic data, or, or, um, or in, the, in the lab, we'll say. So the synthetic tests are the ones that you know a bot loads the page, deconstructs all the DOM elements, tracks all the, the metrics as the page is loading. Uh, and that is what generates your score. So that like 90% or 100% or 40%, whatever your page is scoring, is generated synthetically. Uh, and those are usually using a throttled connection, a, uh, a device um, to, because if you can make if you can make the experience fast on a slow phone on a slow network, it's going to be it's going to be good for most people, as long as you're delivering the same experience everywhere. Uh, so the score is is one thing to look at, but it's not sort of the be all end all. You could have you could be delivering a good experience with a score in the seventies or eighties um, because those two are correlated, but not not directly. Like there's no there's no uh, direct correlation between that like 75% score and your Google search rank, for example. Uh, they're, of course, measuring the same thing in different ways, but um, the two aren't directly correlated. Maybe I'm a bit too low level in the math right now.
0: <laughs> so if you have so- a, a, a situation, you know, if you, if to what extent is the, the rank you have on Google natural search and your paid speeds Uh, Linked because I we recently on my website managed to make an enormous improvement in the uh, core vitals and we improved our um, our you know ranking speed enormously but it didn't really seem to make an awful lot of difference to our um, our natural search traffic. I mean, have you seen how what is it? What is the relationship?
1: Um, You know, like most things, SEO. We're told there is a relationship um, and we're building some models with clients that we have to to quantify that relationship. I, I'm not going to have a, a super concise answer here other than it depends, of course, as any consultant would say, it depends on your industry and your competition. Uh, if you've got a really clear landing page that hits exactly for a certain query, but you're ranking low and your site is slow, then there's an opportunity. But just like, you know, to what extent contribute, to what extent does copywriting contribute it's one factor that google has said is is contributing to seo rank um but the the quantum is is tbd so how <laughs> Which is important, something I'm how
0: important is it to pass the core web vitals for both mobile and desktop
1: mm, how important it's i mean it depends on your page and your uh and your industry sorry again for the it depends <laughs> uh it's the the core vitals have been chosen specifically out of hundreds of other possible metrics because they represent a good user experience and so the the three metrics sort of represent can i see what's happening like am i am i getting the experience that i want in in that the page is loading uh is it is it responding quickly like when i touch the, the glass or the click the button uh is it coming back with a response in a in short order and uh, and third is is the is the visual presentation stable? Like are things moving around a lot? And so those are the three core web vitals for anyone who's uh, not familiar with them. There are they have names, and we can talk about that as well. Um, but to what extent is it important? I would of course say it's quite important, um, and it's not necessarily simple to pass all three. But that's sort of like if you're passing core web vitals, then that's the threshold at which I would say you don't have to. You don't have an emergency. You don't have like a site speed problem. Back to your first question of how do you know when it's when it's something I need to pay attention to? If you're failing Core Web Vitals, then it's something you should pay attention to.
0: But an awful lot of sites fail Core Web Vitals. In fact, most sites, as far as I can tell. I mean, <laughs> in fact, we, we tried very... It's only recently we actually started. We we um, On Magento, we found it almost impossible to pass. Um, sure. And we found it very hard to make any site speed improvements. And then we moved to Shopify and uh, we in, installed a core web vitals uh, plugin and uh, we started to do an awful lot better i think we're passing it on desktop but not on mobile at the moment so it seems to be that an awful lot i mean you know it it, it, i don't know what proportion of sites pass core web vitals but i'm guessing it's pretty low
1: that's a good question um and well yeah i bet there's a uh i bet there's a Someone's probably written a piece on this, on the ratio of sites that pass core web vitals and the relationship between which I've seen actually some pieces around like this platform, this tool stack is more or less likely to pass core web vitals. Um, There's certain metrics in there that are evolving over time. It's a relatively new, I mean, two years, we'll say, uh, set of rules. And so... First input delay is one of these is one of the metrics. For example, around how long it takes to respond when someone touches the glass or clicks a button, and that one I rarely see brands fail. Uh, you're almost all brands that I that I look at are passing that that uh, metric, and it's a bit of a low bar. Um, and so some of these, there's there's talk about replacing that with a newer metric and tightening the threshold for for passing and failing. Uh, but some of the other metrics are much more difficult to pass. Like, largest contentful paint, for example, is the time at which the hero element is drawn on the screen. And if you're a brand that's, you know, the threshold here, we'll say it's two and a half seconds. It is two and a half seconds. We won't just say it. And if you've got, so something that has to happen before the largest contentful paint, for example, is the server has to respond with some data and say, show this on the screen. And if your server response time or your time to first byte or your back end time, all different words to say the same thing, if that's up around two seconds, and it's going to be really hard to paint that largest element in two point five. So, depending on how much you control—sorry, how much control you have over the front end and back end, uh, the where the rendering is happening—if it's happening client side or server side, if you've got a caching layer in between or CDN, uh, those can all have impacts on. Uh, that's sort of like I'm illustrating ways in which you could start to improve the core Web Vital Score, specifically for largest contentful paint. Um, and then a lot of things that we focus on are early in the page load lifecycle. we're sort of dumping every asset to the phone or to the user, uh, like the HTML file that loads your homepage, for example, is going to request what, 20, 50, 100 other files, and the order in which those are loaded often doesn't get a ton of consideration other than like we try to move them up and down in the DOM and things like that, some, some classic practices. Um, But usually what we see is is third-party tags are coming in right away or you've got like a a plugin that's loading immediately and there's things that are happening below the fold uh, outside of the user's current viewport that are at odds with or competing with the above the fold content and and getting things in front of the user as fast as possible. So to answer your question again, yeah, it is challenging um, to pass Core Web Vitals depending on your stack your how many tools you have plugged in um but it's there are strategies for for nearly every brand They're for every brand for sure there are strategies we try to help in, at speed sense avoid a replatform. so use the stack you have apply best practices we don't need to throw the whole thing in the garbage necessarily and um and just prioritize the tasks that'll have the biggest impact on on your score over across the whole site
0: so how can a, a, a company or website owner decide if the, their speed issue is front-end or back-end?
1: Ah, there is a good question. Um, yeah, okay. So really, like, there's there's this, this first byte time that I just talked about. How long does it take until the server sends me something? So when your phone or device requests a page, it's just like, get me the HTML, uh, and the server re- receives that request. Depending on the architecture, we'll assume we're doing some some server side rendering right now, it, you know, queries the database for, okay, they're on the homepage. So we need this promotion and they're logged in. So we need to get their cart and we need to get their user account. And then we compile all that into an HTML asset and put that on the network back to the user. And then that'll arrive back to the device in a certain number of milliseconds. There's no way to have a a healthy core web vitals score, for example, uh, if you've got like a two or three second back end time. You want that to be happening in under half a second, ideally. And, uh, and so we can, there's a few different th- milestones throughout the page load lifecycle. <laughs> we're quite deep in the weeds now, but that's yeah, that's it's like, This just... is where I live. <laughs> so back end time, like how long until I got the first bite? How long until I've painted something to the screen? Is there anything that's blocking rendering completely? And then how long until I've painted the most relevant element? So those three milestones would be like time to first bite, first contentful paint, and largest contentful paint. And the relationship between those can help identify whether it's a front-end or back-end uh, rendering issue uh, and bottleneck.
0: Okay. So in terms of, of you know, the, um, you're spending a lot of time on your um, website speed. I mean, how fast is enough? I mean, what, at what point do you think, wait a minute, you know, this is diminishing returns. I should I should put our mm-hmm. time into something else or you've done enough.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's no reason to become the fastest site on the internet. And we, we have this discussion a lot of, you know, a, a challenge that brands have in prioritizing site speed is what is, what, when are we going to be done? Like, what's the success criteria here? And so generally we compare to a half dozen or so or a dozen other um, competitors in your industry. So, you know, in, we're talking e-commerce today. So unfortunately, Amazon, Walmart, the behemoths are sort of setting the bar for the expectation in the user's mind of how performant a site should be, how smooth an interaction should be. And I mean, unfortunately for the brand, because it can be challenging to compete with a behemoth with billions of dollars of dev resources, but fortunately for the user, I mean, we want to deliver as smooth a user experience as possible and make it free to, uh, to browse and get what we need done online. So yeah, competitive analysis is, is the short answer there. Are you faster than your competitors? Are you at least in line with them? Uh, and then Core Web Vitals would be the other factor there. Are you passing Core Web Vitals? If those two are in good shape, like you're in a, at the fast cohort, you're all green, then you don't have a problem.
0: Okay, so what is it, what's the relationship between website speed and conversion rate and you know, user experience?
1: Sure, yeah, great. We've, uh, one of the things that we do to help quantify when, when we're done as well is uh, is graph that relationship or model that relationship with our clients between the speed of the individual pages and a conversion rate for that given speed. So, first, we'll just talk about site speed in general. Um, when someone visits your page, if I were to visit, you know, from Vancouver, a website that's hosted in London, I'd get a longer first byte time. I, if I'm on a slow network, I'm going to get a longer, slower experience than someone who's visiting on a, you know, a five G network on a newest CPU right next to the data center. And so performance in general is a distribution. Think of it just like a bell curve. Uh, it's got like some really fast sessions, some really slow sessions. And along that bell curve, then you can determine, okay, for the really fast sessions, what's the conversion rate there? Are they, are they more or less likely to buy uh, than the, the users with a really slow session? And so we use data from the client site itself to, to map that relationship between fast and slow sessions uh, and the likelihood of conversion at, at each point along that bell curve. And then we can identify, you know, if we can shift this bell curve, say 100 milliseconds to the left, as in 100 milliseconds faster, what relationship will that have with conversion? So you can sort of forecast the lift based, mm-hmm. on, uh, based on moving that whole distribution of traffic. And then at some point, yeah, you can say, okay, so getting 100 milliseconds faster, we can estimate that that's going to be, you know, two weeks of development effort. Maybe it's worth it, maybe it's not, depending on how much traffic you have, your AOV. Uh, But for sure, conversion rate and web performance are are correlated strongly in in that faster website equals better conversion. And actually, there's also, there's a point of diminishing returns to that point as well, because if you had the fastest website in the world, you're not exactly going to be, you know, wooing people into opening up their wallets and just give me all your money. what we're really trying to address here is minimizing frustration, minimizing abandonment. It's sort of like, stop them from leaving, stop annoying your customers, not, not delight them so much that they're like, Oh, fine. I'll buy it because it's so fast. So
0: people don't up to a point, is it just that people will care up to a point and not really beyond that point?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and,
0: this is an amazing website. I mean, it's, sure. I'm going to sure buy you know not buying because it's it, this is the thing to think oh wow this is the fastest site on the net I'm just going to buy just because of that
1: yeah I'm going to spend three thousand dollars more than I've learned. yeah and also it it gets ex- prohibitively expensive to to move the needle further and further to get faster and faster and the the ROI might not be positive after a certain certain amount
0: so things like you know a, a, a lot of on platforms like uh, you know, Shopify Magento etc you generally start off with a theme that you would mm. purchase. Um, now, what would you recommend if someone's looking to buy a fast theme? How would you recommend mm. analyzing it?
1: Sure, yeah. Okay, that's a great one. Um, there was a trend in the last three to five years of, of a lot of uh, side rendered themes um, in that they're, they're powered by JavaScript instead of rendered by the, the backend, by the server. Uh, and you can build some really performant client-side, or uh, you can build some really performant headless. So let me just talk about headless real quick here.
0: What uh, headless is headless? Or, first off, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Sort of helps answer this. Headless is a is the opposite. I mean, we'll describe what headed would be if that's even a term. But it's sort of it's client-side rendering. Um, Server-side rendering would be the the old school way to do it. So that description I just gave a few minutes ago of a request comes in for a page. The server fetches all the little widgets that it needs, compiles it into HTML, and sends it back to the device. That would be server-side rendering. the The difficulty there is that it takes a long time for that server to build that page response and return it to the client. Uh, in a headless world, that rendering and all those requests are done not on the server but on the device or somewhere in the cloud in an intermediate API. And so that. That uh, architecture doesn't have your e-commerce platform as the, the primary point of coordination, we'll say, of where pages are built. Um, you interact with the e-commerce platform via an API and say, you know, get me the quantity of items in the cart, and then the device has already built the page and can render the cart uh, asynchronously. Mm-hmm. So one of the gotchas, I guess, that I'd watch out for is a completely client-side rendered site uh, or template or theme. So taking that all the way, there's the, the worst case scenario for for performance in a in a headless site or in a theme that's built in pure JavaScript. JavaScript, excuse me, is um, when all of that rendering is done on the client. Now we instead of the server responding with with HTML that the client can render, it responds with a bunch of JavaScript files, which is asses- in essence an application. The device needs to boot that application and start drawing the elements to the screen. So you can have really fast time to first byte, like I mentioned a minute ago. Maybe that's 200 milliseconds or so, because it's just like, here, take the app and boot it. But then you might have a really long two or three second uh, time to first paint or uh, first contentful paint time. So that's a, that's a scenario where you've got a lot of render blocking JS uh, and the client device, which is very underpowered usually compared to a server, is churning through files to, to build the DOM to render that to the screen, to apply CSS. Um, And so for most people, I would say, uh, I I would look for a a classical like server side rendered HTML uh, depending on the size of your site and depending on the direction of your brand. If you're looking to, uh, to build like really deeply integrated content with with uh, with shopping elements throughout, that would be when you start looking at a headless site. Like you know, maybe we're going to do a content play, and it happens to have shopping interspersed through it. It's different than saying like we're going to build a storefront. So the, the architectural stack and a the theme decision, I think, needs to depend on your business strategy and the kind of company you're building.
0: Okay, but if you're if you're say a small company and you've got like a you know going to a theme store, and you want to you know there's all these sites saying that's the the fastest theme on Shopify. Mm-hmm. How would you know what how would you know what what um, what to look for?
1: Yeah, that's a challenge for sure. Uh, a reference implementation is always nice. Like if they've they've usually got a demo, and you could run that through page at Web Dev, the Core Web Vital scan, and see you know is it passing? Does it have? They're they're likely not going to have much real user data because there's not significant enough traffic to expose that. Yeah, I should just clarify that for a second. If you go into Core Web Vital or into PageSpeed Insights. And put your URL in, and it says no data for real users. Uh, Google is only really exposing that when there's an appreciable amount of, of traffic on your website, because uh, it takes some st- statistical significance to uh, to confidently say, you know, this is this is how much traffic you're getting. But yeah, still, I would run a, a a page speed scan, a Lighthouse scan on on the template itself, on the the reference implementation, or like the demo storefront. And mm-hmm. uh, and see is it is it green is it is it heinous in some way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's my recommendation. Okay,
0: so okay, what is you talked about the headless? What is I've, AMP is another thing. What is AMP and what sure. how does it affect science speed?
1: Yeah, AMP stands for Accelerated Mobile Pages, uh, and it was an initiative that Google had about uh, seven or eight years ago. It's sort of falling out of favor uh, for things like full responsive i think let's let's rewind a little here to to mobile first web development and responsive web development there was a time where you'd build a separate store for or a separate site regardless of whether it's e-commerce or not for mobile like m. you know com or tablet or desktop www and those um those were hard to maintain. So you'd have three separate sets of templates for three different clients, client devices. Uh, over time, that evolved into responsive web. So you've got a fluid set of templates that, that operates across all device classes. And that, with it, brought some challenges. Now we're like delivering high-resolution images to phones and video and you know, a lot of JavaScript to over, at the time, 3G networks to very underpowered devices. And so AMP was sort of a response to that. It's like we need to build a way to get the minimum viable page to, uh, to mobile devices as quickly as possible. And the idea was that it would load instantly from the Google cache, as in Google would, would host these AMP pages. But again, it was sort of a deviation away from uh, unifying templates, because you'd have to build a separate set of AMP templates. Uh, which required more maintenance, and and currently I don't see a ton of brands building on it now. But there's a few where we come in and and we've seen they've had an AMP implementation, and uh, and now we'll want to make their mobile variant of their responsive site as fast as the AMP variant was. Okay, I don't know if that answers so, your question. So, but- so
0: uh, yeah, I mean, so you think that AMP is probably not something that that people need to you know is not the thing they should be looking at these days. It's it's a yeah. more historical thing.
1: Okay, I agree. Yeah.
0: So, what is the what is the fastest platform? Is that a how long to put a string question? So, you've got things like you know a lot of the out of the box things like Shopify and Big Commerce, and then I suppose you, and and then you've got things like Magento. What is what is your platform of choice in terms of speed?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I think any platform is more than up to task. To deliver a performant experience, and and generally it's we 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 burn ourselves on the stove by by adding a lot of other plugins, third party tags. Um, so I would say the fastest, like I'm going to go back to my Craigslist example, the fastest in terms of performance isn't necessarily the most engaging. Uh, it's it's pure HTML, no CSS, no JavaScript would be the fastest, but no one. <laughs> ought to build a page like that because you're not going to build a very engaging experience and often you know when I was a developer I, I come from a developer background I'd led dev teams and things like that and performance has always been very important to me and I was much more staunch about you know no we can't put a huge image above the fold on the homepage. it's going to be so slow and now I've softened my stance obviously to realize that there's always a trade-off here between a beautiful engaging inspiring exciting experience and a fast one. And so there's, there's often these two goals are at odds of delivering, you know, excitement and stoke versus quick and responsive. And so the balance is, is make it exciting enough to to be fast at the same time. I don't have a plug directly to answer your question about which, which platform is the fastest. I think, I think any can be can be made quite quick uh, with the right practices and right tools. So what
0: what is the, what is the best? I mean, you know, how do you design an engaging experience whilst keeping up to, you know, while having a speed a fast website? What is it? What are your, I don't know, top five tips mm-hmm. on okay how sure. to do this?
1: <laughs> top five tips. All right. Uh, prioritize things that are the primary reason that that page exists. So say it's your product detail page. And you've got why? Why is there a product detail page? It's to show the person the product and to help them make a selection. So, what are what is the imagery? What are the descriptions? And then allow them to select it. Some secondary objectives of the product detail page would be like, um, you know, answer their questions, allow people to ask questions about the product, uh, user reviews, user generated content, Instagram feed, um, you know. Like further down. And so a lot of times we'll see, for example, like your third party reviews widget loaded before you even load, or at the same time as in terms of the browser's mind, before you even load the the hero main product image. And so the general recommendation here is get the the first party primary use case in front of the user as quickly as you can and defer or uh, lazy load the execution of of other accessory or secondary data. Um, does that answer your question there? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I think
0: so, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, okay. okay. So imagining you've got like a bunch of reviews, that's that's a good use case because often those are not something that the brand stores themselves. It's a third-party plugin like uh, Bizarre Voice or or something like that. And so deferring the execution of that. But And by defer, I mean specifically the word defer mm-hmm. in your JavaScript tag. There's a few different ways to load JS files. Um, one would be just... Put it. Put the line, the script tag in your HTML. Uh, and when that's encountered, yeah, I'll take it a little aside here and explain loading JavaScript. When you encounter a script tag, or when the browser encounters it during constructing the DOM, it pauses, pauses uh, parsing the DOM. It pauses p- building the uh, the DOM. Downloads that script, executes it, determines whether it needs to be influencing the DOM that it's currently building, and then continues on its way. So if you put you know, uh, a third party tag that's, maybe it's just uh, maybe it's just like a remarketing tag, something that's not even visual, halfway down the page, then the browser is going to stop doing what it was doing and go and fetch that and, and, uh, and render it, or sorry, parse it and execute it. The, the next and most common and most familiar for most people way to load JS is asynchronously. So the async tag, same idea, you just put the word async in the script tag. In this scenario, the browser will encounter that script. It'll no longer stop parsing to load it. It'll load it asynchronously. But once it has continued, or once it's completed the download, it'll still execute that script. It'll stop parsing DOM, execute the script, and uh, and and run it. Um, and that can again interrupt whatever else it was doing. So browsers are single threaded, and so if it's trying to render your hero image or build a carousel for the home, you know, above the fold then um, sorry, not, a, not typically, I would say don't put a carousel above the fold on your homepage <laughs> Okay. <laughs> in particular. Uh, yeah, th- so the, the most performant way to to load a third-party script would be with a defer tag and defer then takes that one step further. So it won't interrupt the browser in parsing DOM for the download and it also won't interrupt it once it arrives. It'll wait until the DOM has been built and then execute that script.
0: So you keep saying word DOM, what does that mean?
1: Mm, sorry about that, yep. Dom is a document object model. So you've got HTML files to build a page and the CSS files. And these two things together uh, contain a bunch of nodes, we'll say, Uh, and these nodes build up a render tree. So, I mean, this is, (laughs) try to explain it. Like like I'm not talking to uh, 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 someone who's as nerdy as me about this. Imagine like every every little square on your screen is is a DOM element, um, and the DOM is basically like the skeleton behind the scenes, a okay. blueprint for the page.
0: Okay. So is that was that your first point as well? So we're trying to get i trying to get five five um, uh, tips here. So is that we on still have we finished one? <laughs>
1: uh, number one is sort of a sweeping. Sure. Yeah, we'll call that number one. Uh, Number two would be preload your LCP image. Um, So if you've got a largest Contentful Paint element, like your hero image on your homepage, your product shot on the PDPs, uh, you can preload those. So you can tell the browser, look, this is the most important element. And a lot of web performance comes down to giving the browser some hints as to what's important and what's not needed right away. Like, we're still going to tell it these are the 100 files that make up this page, but which of those should I get immediately? And so there's, a, there's the ability to preload that LCP element. You can put it in the head of the browser even, or the head of the page, and it'll be fetched uh, right away. And then by the time the DOM tree has constructed the node that contains that element, it'll already be in cache on the browser. So it'll render a lot faster. That's it. That's number two. Uh, number three, I would say third-party tags in your, in your search, sorry, in, um, in your tag manager, can uh, can be can play havoc at times. Tag managers are incredibly powerful in that you can deploy code to your site um, instantly, more or less. But there's a, there's a bit of a I don't like the word pixel, and it's evolved over time to be like it's just a tracking pixel. It's an innocuous little one by one pixel, but often those are full JavaScript files which are fetched from a third party and executed as soon as they load and that is all coming at the expense of often uh, other parts of your experience that you want to prioritize. So attribution, a lot of times we talk about attribution in, in tag management, like it's usually third parties or uh, remarketing or some ads, some, some, you know, tracking and every, you know, anyone who's tried to, to increase traffic and sales on their site has been, has been sold a direct relationship between you know this is causal, and this this our product will result in X revenue lift. And here I am doing the same for site speed. <laughs> but uh, but every every script wants to be loaded immediately, so that early in the page load life cycle, imagine it takes you know imagine it takes five seconds to run all the scripts that load on your page. If the user leaves within three. And uh, and this remarketing script wouldn't have fired until the fourth second, then they're never going to capture that visit so we're at odds here around like what is more important, the user seeing the right page or tracking that the user has seen that page and telling and reporting that back to to AdWords, for example, so. um, I would say take the recommendations of put it in your head tag load it immediately with a grain of salt, because that is going to come with a performance impact. So that'd be number three. Uh, let's see <laughs> the top five. Uh, image five. size. Uh, we'll keep going. We'll, we'll, this is fun. Um, <clears throat> yeah, image sizes. I mean, that's that's often the first thing people think of is is compress your images properly. Uh, and I would say no image on the web should be above like three hundred k. There's no reason to have like two and three and four or five megabyte homepage or product shots. Um, there are third-party plugins or or third-party uh, DNS services that allow you to dynamically resize images based on the user's device that's visiting them. So, one thing that I guess responsive introduced uh, a few years ago was whoa. Now we've got we've got to make an image size for mobile. We've got to make one for tablet. We've got to make one for desktop. And so there's a lot of like cropping and resizing in your in your your. Uh, DAM or CMS. Um, and so there's some nice tooling that's evolved evolved over the last couple of years that allows you to put one huge, like 4K, really rich image in your CMS. And then an intermediate piece of software. Uh, ImageX is one that I've used, for example, that I quite like. There's a few that we've used. Adobe Scene 7 does something similar. There's, you know, there's a dozen different services that do this. But the device will will uh, request an image with the right pixel ratio. So it's a retina display and the right size, the right dimensions so that you're not delivering this huge 4k asset to, you know, a tiny little handheld screen. So that's a good win. Um, let's see, top five, last one.
0: you talked about engage. OK, so can you give me an example of a, you know, talk about speed a lot. What about engaging experience? What about more kind of, is it just, is it just size that you work with or? What about you know a a, a tip for um, more kind of usability based tip?
1: Sure, yeah, yeah, um, okay. Let's talk less than about the loading experience and more about afterload, um, animation. And anytime you've got like something moving on screen, so we've got. I'll give a good example here. We've got a client who had um, a, a category page that displayed about three hundred products. And um, and every time you'd like filter or sort that category page, every one of those 300 elements was supposed to uh, beautifully animate into the new position. When the old ones get removed, they all sort of slide. So it's like a really nice tiled experience. Um, but this isn't part of the page load life cycle. This is happening well after you know the, the DOM is built and the network is quiet and the CPU is quiet. And then the user hits like, I just want to see the red ones. Um, So what was trying, what the CPU was attempting to do there is for each of these 300 tiles, recalculate the the current position and the final destination position of where it's going to be and set up a set of frames to draw the animation of it moving from here to there. And trying to do that for 300 products uh, on a tiny little CPU, it's just, it was impossible. So what ended up happening was everything would just snap to place, but it would be like, you know, three or 400, maybe half a second later or 400 milliseconds, I was going to say there. Uh, maybe maybe multiple seconds, actually, for some of these devices and categories. And so what our recommendation was, was just stop trying to make this animation. Like, I get what you're going for. It would be beautiful. But That's trying to do 60 right. FPS for 300 products on like a phone that, you know, 95% of these products were below the fold on off screen anyway. And so we're still calculating frames and XY position and trying to draw all that. But yeah, there's there's really there's ways you can try to build a beautiful experience, but then in, in in practice or applied, it doesn't really doesn't really pan out the same way. So that I guess would be my third or my final recommendation is keep frame rate high. Uh, and there's ways to track that with with Chrome's Dev Tools. Um, frame rate ought to be you know 60 FPS ideally, but that's okay. a that's a hard bar to hit.
0: So look, I've got a final question for you. I like to ask a fluffy question. In the end. Look, you're you're clearly pretty nerdy about about um, side speed. What else are you nerdy about? Not e-commerce related.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you picked up on the nerdy side speed thing. Yeah. No, you proved um, your ner,
0: you proved your nerdiness. That's thanks, not in got question.
1: My, got my badge. <laughs> you
0: don't, there's no no question in my mind that you're nerdy about this. You know your stuff.
1: Uh, cycling for sure. Like I. uh, I'm I'm really into all kinds of biking, it's just off road, on road. Yeah, a little bit of everything. I just got a new Electric. wheel set. I just actually you're in the UK. I just ordered a new wheel set from Hunt, right. uh, which is a UK brand, and um, yeah, just love to road ride. Like I live in Vancouver, it's beautiful here, so we get amazing, amazing road riding. Uh, and I'm also going to Whistler this weekend to do some downhill mountain biking. So um, I'm at the point in my life where <laughs> I'm going to need a lot more equipment than than i did when i was 25 or so
0: so have you got like a big helmet with the or the downhill is it? you've got the huge great um suspension yeah. front fork suspension and the yeah huge yeah great full helmet suspension the...
1: yeah even the bikes like they're designed not to be able to climb they're uncomfortable to ride even on the flat like the seat is so far back your weight is so far back uh yeah it's full downhill like chest and knee and arm protectors and whistler bike park is is incredible so okay you have, you, have
0: you ever done yourself any damage doing that
1: yeah yeah i broke my collarbone collarbone's like the classic cyclist injury because you fall on an outstretched limb yeah there's a few yeah um so that's why i'm getting all this armor this time around <laughs> okay
0: well if you ever find yourself in the uk there's a place called bike park wales Oh, which is probably not as probably not yeah as, uh, yeah this not is not like the ultimate... whistler <clears throat> a long, have you heard of the types days. of
1: fun yeah it's, it's, it's three types of fun this is like this is type one fun where it's fun the whole time uh, li- anything lift serviced is is type one fun. Type two fun is like there's some hard part to it, like climbing, and to get to the descent. That's that sounds like what you're talking about. And I also really love that. Oh, no, there like is an the opposite.
0: There's not a lift, but it's it's a, a van. You can pay for a van to take you to the top. Oh, not very glamorous,
1: weird. but it works. Oh, that's that's even better. Yeah, I like I like the the rough uh, sort of scrappy nature of that lift.
0: What's this type one fun, type two fun. Is it type three fun?
1: <laughs> yeah. Type three fun is you usually set out to find some type two, um, but something goes wrong and, and like, all.
0: none of it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. For the type, type two, you're, you're no glad you all. did it. Yeah. Type three I'm was like, it was retrospect. dangerous.
1: Yeah. Type three. I don't think you're glad you did it. I think it's like, there's a, there's a good article about this written by, uh, I don't remember some like backcountry club in the U S um, Yeah, type three is like, we wish we'd never done it. It was never fun. And that was a mistake.
0: (laughs) 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 No, I've learned something. Look, it's been great talking to you, Sean. Um, And it's uh, your site. What's your website?
1: Speedsense.com.
0: Okay, great. It's been lovely speaking to you. Thanks very much.
1: Thanks, Trevor. Yeah, it was fun.
0: Bye-bye.